There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Welcome to Marmalineal Property with John Pigeon and, as always, Emily Wallace. Uh, Emily, we're talking Q&A today, and the, the first one we're going to run our eyes over is a scenario where should I buy in at a lower price or go in the higher price with the extra repayments, knowing that I might have a better asset uh, long-term for capital growth. So we're going to thrash that one out in detail, aren't we? Most definitely, and then followed up by some questions in the Facebook group. Um, just before we get cracking, if you aren't, part of the My Millennial Money Facebook group, I would definitely recommend joining and any questions you have for John and or I, tag us and put hashtag property and that's how we filter through the questions when we do these Q&A sessions. Yeah, so let's uh, get into it. Let's do it. All right, so Anonymous says, we want to spend 600k on a property have enough of a deposit and equity in investment property to avoid LMI. Now, we'll come back to that part because I want to thrash that little bit out in a bit of detail as well. But they say option one is pay approximately... 500,000 or a little bit under. So let's call it 450 to 500. Uh, It will be a townhouse. Its location might be slightly more beneficial for lifestyle, as in Mm -hmm. closer to the beach or amenities or whatever it might be. Uh, Have BC fees approximately $50 per week. So the body corporates, what's that? 50 times. So we're talking two and a half grand grand a year. year. So that's not bad. Yep. And the mortgage repayments approximately under $300 per week, around about $300 a week, okay? So sounds as though that's manageable. Uh, it'll give the, the ability to purchase another investment property sooner. Yep. Now, that's option one. Mm-hmm. So option two is spend about 600K, so maybe 100, 150K more for a freestanding home. Now, our listeners are probably sitting here thinking, yep, I've already made up my mind. Uh, location may be slightly less beneficial for lifestyle, uh, but there's more space. Obviously, uh, we've got some some land to run the dog or run the kids or whatever the scenario may be. Uh, better capital growth as there's more land, uh, no body corporate fees at all, mortgage repayments approximately $450 per week. So about $150 a week or, or $600 a month, give or take, uh, to to run that property. Council rates for both properties as well as water are pretty comparable, all right? And mm-hmm. They've said that they can save dollars in both scenarios, right? So it's right. neither of those options are going to put them on the brink of disaster from a cash flow perspective, which is good to know. They've got yep. their, their cash flow management plan in place, so, so they know what's coming in and coming out, so that's awesome. Uh, it sounds as though this person's done their homework in, in their 
regards their own situation. Uh, it's now about looking at things outside of their control, like capital growth and and factors in and around the area, to say, well, which one's going to be better? Go the lower price, lower repayments, maybe a, a superior location. Uh, or do we go for something larger, slightly inferior location uh, that uh, may give a better capital growth outcome? So I'm going to pass to you, Emily, and give <laughs> your thoughts on the matter. Well, first and foremost, I love that this person has done their homework. They've clearly outlined and they know that they've got two options. Uh, first and foremost, great to know that you do have options because some people just pigeonhole themselves into one. Mm. Uh, so looking at the different buy-in points and then long-term outcome. This really is a case of a lifestyle factor coming into it because one of the key things I'm hearing here is option one is a townhouse and more practical for the lifestyle location. Whereas option two being a freestanding house, but slightly less preferable for lifestyle. But it doesn't necessarily say it's less preferable for from an investment purpose. In fact, it says that maybe we might have better capital growth because it's land. So really, I mean, if if I was this person, I you know put myself in their shoes. I think one thing that you can get blindsided by is thinking that the number of properties you own equals your wealth. So the, the volume of property as opposed to the dollar figure invested because they're two very different things. And I noted earlier when we were mapping this out, they said that um, if they went with option one, that they would be able to get another investment property sooner, which is, it, that's really good. There's nothing wrong with that. It's more so what does that look like for your overall wealth picture? And is it actually better to spend a higher purchase price on your PPR? Keeping in mind, um, it sounds like both these options are to live in. So in terms of, um, you know, not having to pay capital gain tax or anything like that on on your own home, personally, I would go for the larger purchase price to reap the rewards of uh, more land, nobody corporate fees, and also not paying tax on the gain, you know, if that is your long-term home. Mm. Yeah, so you're going option two. And I think I'm going to join you, but I I want to thrash out why we've come to that conclusion and why we might not choose option two as well. Um, Because Mm. obviously with these sort of scenarios, we don't know the full um, backstory and and long-term goals for, for the individual. But that's probably the most important part of it now is to say, well, what what is um, this person's long-term goal for building a portfolio? Are they interested in going and creating an investment portfolio of some size? So uh, do I want my principal place of residence plus another two or three properties? As you said, it's not about the number, but it's about growing a portfolio. So if that's the case and they want to get a second property uh, sooner because that's just what they want to do, then option one is a is a is a better option in that case, isn't it? Um, I think one thing to take into account is uh, if this person is growing a family and likes a dog or a cat or some pet, um, it's going to be much 
easier process to not have to deal with body corporate and also to be able to have the space to expand the family if that's what you're doing. If it's a, if the individuals say, look, I'm going to be a single and, I'm, and that's all, it's just me for the next 30 years, then that lends itself towards option one where you do have that maybe better lifestyle that's, that's closer to the water, right? Um, or yeah, definitely. Life, wherever it is, I don't know where it is, but it's. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that the townhouse is closer to something that's better. Better located, definitely. Just one thing on that as well. Um, something we've just potentially overlooked is um, body copper fees being fifty dollars per week. And you think about the mortgage repayments they said would be around three hundred per week. The gap between option one and option two is actually only about a hundred dollars when you work out like the costs because you've got to factor that in, council and water is about the same. Yeah. Um, so just if, I think people really overlook body corporate fees and they're like, oh, you know, it's just X amount. And they also overlook, and maybe not so much in the townhouse space, but sometimes maintenance levies that pop up that, you know, are really beyond your control. If you're outvoted by a majority, you could be up for an extra couple of thousand, you know, one year, one out of, seven, 10 years that would improve the property, but you also need to factor in that's a cost beyond your control. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I suppose we don't know whether this person's got these two scenarios side by side in real properties or they've just taken the suburb and said, oh, this is probably what I'll get for a townhouse. This is what I'll get for a house with land. But you would also, because we're buying with option two, a larger parcel of land, we're going to usually get an inferior uh, product as a, as a dwelling, aren't we? Because we're paying more for the land right now. In this example, roughly 100, 150K more, um, depending on the size of the land as to how inferior the house will be. Um, so whilst we've got maintenance levies with townhouses and body corporates, we, we may also have uh, quite a bit of work to do on a house that's, uh, that's also a little bit run down because we're paying more for the land. And, and, and personally, as, a, as an investor, I've always gone for the land with the worst house, best street type philosophy uh, where I can, um, but not blowing ourselves up in, in terms of cash flow. And this person seems to think that uh, both those options are, uh, are going to fit their cash flow or their lifestyle quite, uh, quite well. So the questions that they've raised are, other things I'm not considering, right? So is there anything that we probably need to entertain that they haven't entertained already or haven't considered? Well, you sort of did touch on it just there, John, but one thing that I have noticed is quite prevalent at the moment is the costs of trades and materials. Mm. So it's been a hot topic in the press of late and we're recording this in early 2022 if you are listening back um, at a different time, but um, there has been a notable increase in the cost of, of trades, availability of trades and also materials. So one thing that I would factor in that maybe they, they haven't thought about is um, if you've previously received a quote for, a, say, a facelift renovation, that quote may not stack up in today's market and you probably need to account for an extra cost there, um, particularly if it comes to you know materials, if you're changing um, items in the house. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're going through that process at the moment and the price per square metre, which is what we like to run with, when, especially when we're building new, um, has probably jumped about three to $400 a metre, a square metre, wow. um, in the last six years since we've, since we've done that. And, and through COVID, some materials have gone up 30 to 40%. So that, that's a great, um, great point to consider. Um, and also the, the emotion of, of living in an older property. Some people like to go and buy something and live in it and it's all done and I don't have to touch and improve anything. I don't have to spend extra money. I've already spent my 600 and, and I'm good to go, set and forget. Where others, uh, their, their personality or their mindset says, look, get me the, the ugliest, worst house in the street and I'll just spend the next five years doing it up. Right? So we don't know what type of person uh, we're, we're dealing with here, but if we, if we buy an older home that needs work and we want it done uh, or improved straight away, we need to have funds set aside for that. If we're happy to, to live in it for the next two or three years and, and do nothing to it, then that's fine as well. We can save our pennies and, and do a renovation um, down the track sometime. So obviously the standard building and pest inspections and, and getting an independent builder's report will be able to ascertain just what exactly needs to be done um, on, uh, on, on the property that you're going to buy. Definitely. And just to chime in there on the on the reno um, topic, if it is something that is an immediate renovation, say, for example, um, the house needed rewiring or it was something to do with an upgrade in the bathroom that really should be done before you move in or flooring, uh, one cost to account for is just the double up in obviously taking over that property and paying the mortgage for it whilst also um, renting your current residents just we you know try and minimize how much crossover there is of paying double because that does hurt if it's a couple of months in a row Um, so just to factor that in if it's not something that you can actually do whilst you're living in the property you need to you know vacate for a period of time or do it before you actually move into the home yeah, good point, and and uh, hope that you've got a family member that you, you can bunk in with for the for a twelve month period or something. Yeah, <laughs> um, but uh, this person did say that they've also analysed renting them out if that was going to be um, an option, and and that made me think about well, is this their long term uh, house or, or property for the next say mm. ten to fifteen years? That comment made me think, well, yeah, maybe this is only a three to five year plan um, if it is the townhouse because I may be having kids or I want a dog or whatever it might be. Um, So understanding the next step in the process before we purchase this first property is like, well, okay, the townhouse might fit now and it might suit my lifestyle now, but I, I, through the blink of an eye, I could now be married and have two kids and all of a sudden this townhouse is too small for me. So we're thinking about school zones and, and um, public transport and all different things that we weren't thinking about when we were a single person. Now I'm just hypothesising, just imagining that this person is single and <laughs> hasn't got a family, but we've got to understand our own situation and think, well, do I want uh, to upgrade my home in five years time or is this going to be my next 10 to 15 year purchase? And option two has more flexibility for it being a 10 to 15 year uh, property, doesn't it? 
Yeah, definitely. And a lot of that can come down to personality type too, because for some people, they like the change every couple of years and other people, they might have lived in the same family home at growing up from, you know, zero to 18 and then moved out or something like that. And so they're used to stability of a long-term home. And I, I actually often find that's a real big factor in decision-making for people is, um, I guess what they're comfortable with and sometimes you'll hear people say like oh, I never want to move again like moving yeah. such a process and I just can't be bothered um, so for some people they want to um, potentially extend themselves while they're younger so they've actually got foundations for a long term and uh, the property might be actually too big for them maybe it's them and their partner and maybe there's one on the way um, it might be actually too much house for them at that time, mm. but by the time they create a family, um, it's actually the right size and they've sort of bought ahead of the game, which is a trend that I'm starting to see a little bit. I don't know if you've noticed that. Um, some people totally. are actually buying ahead of their time. Yeah, absolutely they are. Yeah, good point. So let, let's take a break and we'll come back yeah. and, and round this little scenario off. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, so we're back. And thinking about so many different options for an individual is uh, there's no one size fits all in scenarios like this or any scenario with investing or, or, or purchasing assets. Uh, but one thing we did want to talk about, and they've mentioned it as a question, is how much do areas weigh into this decision? So option one, by the sounds of it, is a in a superior location to option two, right? Now, how superior? Who knows? Uh, what what type of street is it in? Uh, what what side of town is it on? Like there's so many variables in that and, and each suburb is very different. But I don't know about you, Emily, but I would be interested to check 
uh, with townhouse in particular, just how much new development is is coming into that area over the next three to five years, and maybe even talking to a town planner at council can can help you with that, um, and just seeing how many cranes there are in the sky, and and just uh, wandering around and just getting a feel for that, because the last thing you want is to live in a townhouse that uh, is going to be overrun with. Uh, loads and loads of new development over the next three to five years. Definitely, because then they just, to be honest, and townhouse developments are so popular, particularly when it's a feasible scheme for a developer to buy up a block or two and, and build, that townhouse that you're currently buying into becomes like, oh, it's an older townhouse. And I wouldn't say it um, drastically devalues it, but it certainly does have an impact uh, in the grand scheme of things if the newer townhouses the price of them isn't too much different. Like people would usually opt for a brand new build over mm. someone that's got something that's, you know, five to seven years old. Um, but certainly in terms of the bigger picture of the of the area and how much that plays into the purchase, uh, definitely speaking to the town planner, as you mentioned, council websites are great. Like you can go down some massive rabbit holes on council websites with, you know, all their planning documents outlined and their vision for the area for the next 10 to 20 years and infrastructure, um, you know, when you're looking at investment wise, you're always looking for how is this area going to develop? What money are they putting into it? Uh, and how is that going to enhance the value of my property? Which typically you do find most areas are developing. It's just which one is, is better, I guess, um, for long term. Absolutely. And, and, one one thing to throw in there is is we we talk about uh, the the poor cousin of an area. So we might have a suburb and and I don't know I might use a suburb in Melbourne. So Turak, uh, really high blue chip location, uh, an inferior suburb next to that might be what Malvern or Q, oh, yeah, something like that. Where it, it's uh, it's not a poor cousin by any means, but it's still <laughs> inferior to the the. It's still inferior to the blue chip suburb that everyone would like to live in, but no one can afford it. So if we uh, microanalyze that in a particular suburb, there are good and bad areas generally of the suburb, right? And and as if I've got my wealth creation or investment hat on, regardless of whether I'm buying my principal place or an investment, I'm looking at where's the upside in this for capital growth. And, and by the sounds of it, this person is as well. So I wouldn't uh, have too much problem going and buying in an inferior part of town with a larger block and an older house that I can do up over time because there's plenty of uh, room for adding value. There's plenty of room for uh, regentrification of that particular part of the suburb if right next door, two, three streets away, we've got a really superior part of town. Definitely. And I think the idea of manufacturing equity, so by you know, value adding to your own property outside of what you just expect the area to increase by will always be beneficial because you're sort of outdoing the norm per se. I think it's really important not to just focus on the area growth, although it's a massive contributing factor. It's also focusing on what, why is this property valuable or how can I make it more valuable to somebody um, without overcapitalizing. I do think there's very limited ways you can improve a townhouse because usually they're not that old. Um, you're not going to 
rejig the floor plan. You might maybe, you know, update some bench tops or the laundry space or landscape it nicely, but you're kind of limited in how much value you can add without um, overspending. Whereas a house, you've got large potential to really, you know, grow some equity through your own doing. Yeah, totally. I, I totally agree with that. Um, the only maybe exception to that is if, if that's all I had to spend and I had mm-hmm. to, it was my only option, then fine. In a complex that might be six or eight or 10 or 12 townhouses, I would want to be or, or purchase one of the better townhouses in that complex. So that might mean it's um, it's got three bedrooms, two bath, double garage, as opposed to some others that might be only two bed, single garage. So I don't want to have the worst property in that complex. I, I want to have the best. So it's going to um, be appealing to someone who, who comes along and says, well, yeah, I've got a family. Um, I need some space. So I need an office or I might have two cars, etc., etc." Question for you just on that as a side note, what's your personal preference? If you're in a um, townhouse block of five and they all sort of like run one behind the other, would you do you prefer the front one regardless of configuration of internals, just like the front one of the block or the back one of the block? Mm-hmm. Yes, interesting. I, I personally would prefer the back one. Now, obviously we don't know how busy the street is or what's behind the complex or what's to the left or right of it, but my basic black and white thinking is if I'm at the back, no one's driving past I'm, I'm the end. Uh, no one's driving to me unless they're visiting me and there's, there's less people around my, my dwelling. What about you? Yeah, I totally agree. I, I also find that the back ones usually have an L-shaped back garden because you, mm. sometimes there's an easement running through and yep. the setbacks. Um, massive side note, but... <laughs> yeah, nice. Yes. That's a good one. Uh, the back one is preferred. Yeah. Um, All right. Now back to the scenario because there were a few extra questions on this scenario, um, I guess, just to round it out as to that obviously we touched on the area. Um, There was also a question around with a budget of 400K or under, can a buyer's advocate help me? Which is a very interesting question. I find that Mm. something really interesting um, to ask. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, I mean, we're both buyer's advocates. So, um, you you would assume that we're naturally going to say, yeah, of course we, of course we can help. <laughs> um, but I, I always ask someone when they think, when, when they ask the question, do we need one? Um, a couple of things. First of all, what do we think we're lacking that requires us to need or want to pay for a buyer's agent? Um, is it the lack of skill and resources? Is it a lack of time? Is it a lack of confidence in our own ability? Is it all of the above, right? If, if we can look at that and say, well, okay, I, I think I've got all of that covered. I've got plenty of time. My skill set's okay. I've got some resources. I know some people on the ground. I actually think you can get it done yourself. Now, if there's a no in any of those questions, then that's when you've got to entertain outsourcing um, the, the purchase and then it comes down to, well, factoring in the cost of, of having a buyer's agent um, because there'll usually be 
two scenarios. One is a flat fee for service and the other is a percentage of the purchase price. So, yeah, it's it's, uh, it's getting down the lower end of purchasing. Like we, we purchased one for a client a couple of months ago, late last year, for $300,000, um, which, which was as low as we've gone for a long time. But, um, yeah, most properties we're probably looking around the five to 700 as an, as an average for investment properties. When it's your own rock, which is what you specialise in, there's more emotion involved, isn't there, and there's, there's more involvement probably from the, from the client. Yeah, definitely. For some people, it just doesn't stack up numbers-wise. Like if they've saved every penny for their deposit mm. and then they're going to take a, a buyer's agent fee out of that, it, for some people, it just doesn't logistically make sense and that's okay. Um, there are also resources that can fast track, I guess, upskilling yourself into buying property mm. um, that can certainly assist. But um, you're right. It's sort of like I would say probably I have bought a 300K one bedroom for someone Um as well, but usually you tend to find it sort of 500k and upwards um, that it makes sense for people. Uh, but it's honestly case by case, and plenty of people do buy homes on their own. Like a buyer's advocate or a buyer's agent is actually a fairly new concept to a lot of people. Um, they've been around for you know a number of years, but there's a growing number of them now, and it's becoming a little bit more common. But it's still probably less than five percent of the population that actually use the services to buy a property. So you're not the minority if you go and do it yourself. You're actually the majority. It's just I always question what other properties um, would you have access to if you used a buyer's advocate because we have off-markets and do you know what you're doing? As long as you know what you're doing, you can probably go it alone. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's very Americanized um, product, isn't it? The buyer's agent, like it's um, every every second person might use one over there. And in Australia, it uh, it's always been the rich and famous use the buyer's agent because no one wants to know that they've bought a property or where where they've bought it as such. But now, uh, in the last couple of years, it's it's really um, grown some legs, hasn't it? And and I think oh, people definitely. are just more. Uh, savvy about their time. It's like, well, okay, I'll stick to doing what I do best and let someone who does this for a living do this component of my life for me. So it it definitely does make sense for a lot of people. But as you said, you've got to factor that in. This person sounds as though they've they've got a reasonable amount of equity even after Mm. they've purchased one of these properties. So yeah, um, there's probably room in there for it. And, um, and, and most buyers agents will also work with you on the strategy piece. So thrash out, is it townhouse or is it freestanding home? Yeah. Now, I think that rounds that one out. Have we got anything else to add to that scenario? I know we could talk forever. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, I think an, uh, one thing that they've mentioned at the end, does it come down to which property will be worth more? And yeah. I think the answer to that is if that's important to you. Um, yeah. Now, most people might be listening saying, well, of course it's important to everyone, isn't it? But it's actually not. Some people just want to get a, a really good lifestyle and that might mean living close to amenities, uh, walking to everything, and that may indeed be the townhouse, knowing full well that it might not have the growth 
over the long term that a, that a freestanding home with land has. So yeah, it's factoring yeah. in your emotions and what you want from the, from the purchase, uh, but really understanding the long-term outcome. What do we want in five or 10 years time? Do we see ourselves living in this property still? Uh, or do we th- still need to think we'll upgrade? And should we do that now as well? Because generally, and townhouse is probably in the middle of the growth curve between units and houses, isn't it? So generally yeah. that curve widens as time goes on. Um, so you, you might be chasing your tail a bit if you're in an inferior product, regardless of the location that you're in. Yeah, agreed. Cool. Rightio. Well, on to the next question. So there's one in the group, Tian has asked, they are 21, almost 22, and have settled on a second property and signed a plan for a third. I mean, well done to be 22 and looking for your third, first of all. That's amazing. In a few years, I'd like to start my own business using the equity from my owner, Ock, as security. I've heard that starting a business may jeopardize my ability to borrow for a third property. Should I be settling on my third property before starting a business? Now, this is a great question because clearly they're thinking about what are the impacts of my next move and what is is smarter to do. This is probably also very similar for those of you who aren't thinking about running a business but you are in a job. It's probably very similar to thinking about changing careers um, into a different path and how lenders do look at your income and your industry. Yeah, 100%. So like high level without knowing the ins and outs, I would have to say from a borrowing perspective, you would buy the property before the business. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, that would be my first reaction is like get it sorted while you've got your current situation and you know it's possible. Yeah, like trying to get a loan as a business owner, you're going to be minimum 12 months. I think the likes of ANZ and I think Macquarie maybe, um, they will take 12, uh, 12 months of financials. But the question is how strong are those financials when we've just started a business? So you, you might just have to say, well, it's going to be three years maybe before I can go and buy a property unless my business actually booms um, straight away from the word go, which it may well. Um, but if you want some certainty, it's it's going to be on, on um, POYG, much easier to get a loan and get that investment property done as long as you don't need the funds to start that business up. If you can buy a property and it it still leaves you with your business funds to go and do that, then it's not a no-brainer, but it's not far from it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Even if it required you to be maybe in that role that you're currently in for another six or 12 months to build out the buffer again, potentially might be worthwhile. Uh, but yeah, as long as it doesn't compromise your your plan to start the business, because obviously businesses do need injection of cash to get off the ground, um, particularly depending what, if it's service-based versus product-based. So there's a couple of factors in in there, but I yeah. think the general consensus on this question is get buy property number three before you start your business would be the smartest thing to do. Mm. Good question. Okie dokie. Next question comes from Lissy and Lissy asks, I've inspected plenty of properties in the past when I've been looking for rental properties, but I'm hoping to buy in about a year or so. So I'm doing as much research as possible. I was wondering if anyone has advice on things to look for or consider at property inspections when you're looking to purchase uh, that someone who has only looked at rentals wouldn't have considered before. This is really interesting question because I actually am of the mindset 
that you look for a lot more in rental properties than properties you go to purchase because you can't change in like the limitations are a lot right in a rental property you've got to have a number of tick boxes because you can't add a bedroom you Mm. can't knock out a wall so I feel like for Lissy if she's been looking at rental properties intently you've probably got a pretty good eye on what to look out for when you're buying a property as well yeah yeah, no, I agree totally. Um, if, if it's an investment property that you're going to buy, different story because you're not living in it. So you do need to remove that emotion from it as such, um, the, the shape of the bedrooms and the size and whatever else and just look at the the asset for what it is. But yeah, if, you, if you're going to buy a property to live in and you've been renting, you've, yeah, you should have a pretty good eye um, unless you've just come straight out of a uni house where you couldn't really care less where you lived and uh, <laughs> just uh, just renting to keep the cost down low with five others. Definitely. Yeah, there isn't anything you drastically look like that's drastically different that you look for across rental versus owning. I think it's um, understanding what's changeable mm. uh, and, and what that's going to cost you. One thing regardless of rental versus um, owning that we always try and keep a an ear out for, or I should say a nose out for, is the smell of the property and any um, suspicious mould or damp smells because they can be very costly to fix or in some cases unfixable. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, it's a really common problem which you can get tested for and building a pest should pick up moisture readings. Yeah. But something to be aware of, um, yeah, moisture in a property is never, never great. doesn't end well for anyone. No, that's right. And, and as you said, the moisture meter will, will detect that. But I also think a good uh, building and pest inspector will give some running commentary on that and say, oh, you know what, it, it stunk like dogweed or it's uh, like it, it yeah. had that mouldy smell or it's uh, you could clearly smell that the the person living here is a smoker or like you, you should be able to have that commentary with the, the inspector as well. So it, it also uh, is important as to who's on your team uh, when you're purchasing. Agree. Uh, one final quick fire question to finish out with comes from Nat um, relating to a buyer's agent. So you and I can can answer this quite quickly. Uh, when you initiate a buyer's agent, was there an upfront fee? What I want to use has a $2,000 upfront fee and then a fee when they find me my dream home. Just wanted to check that this is standard. Is that standard, John? That uh, appears standard to me, Emily. Yep, standard and sometimes higher than 2000 There's usually mm. always a retainer fee for someone to be retained for their work um, in finding you a property and obviously using their resources to do yeah. so. Yeah, w- one... Uh, one thing I wanted to add with that is mm. uh, a, a question I got the other day is uh, if if the circumstances change, we're on the journey of trying to find a property, um, people on the ground putting in offers and, and researching for you and uh, all of a sudden you have to move overseas or you lose your job or, or uh, is the full fee payable? Um, and, and in my instance, it's absolutely not. It's like, well, let's cut ties and all the best. Um, but you do need to check that with, uh, with buyer's agents for sure. Totally. We're the same. Retainer fee remains payable, but the, yeah. the remainder of the fee, not. That would be silly. Yeah. <laughs> mm. 
Well, that rounds out today, another Q&A session. Uh, we've got some guests coming up in the next couple of weeks um, to talk about particular topics. If you ever do have an expert that you'd like us to bring onto the podcast, please let us know. Um, plenty of ways to reach out to us, social media, the Facebook group or email. But uh, we want to be delivering content that you enjoy and that adds value to you. Absolutely. And if you're wondering what qualifies as an expert, it's someone who's done 10,000 hours in their trade. There you go. Minimum. <laughs> Minimum. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. It's been a pleasure. As always, until next week, we'll speak with you soon. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And I've created the Buying Coach, built from my experience as a buyer's advocate to demystify the confusion around purchasing property, particularly for first home buyers. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.